Hello, readers. Ryan O'Callaghan is a former football player who played right tackle for the Cal Golden Bears before spending six years in the National Football League with the Patriots and Chiefs. Ryan is also one of the few openly gay former football players, an announcement he made after retiring from the sport. But the story isn't that simple. It never is. And now Ryan is sharing his story, the pain, suffering, anguish, and even the joy of his journey in the new book, My Life on the Line, how the NFL dream damn near killed me and ended up saving my life. Ryan, thank you for the time. How are you today? Hey, Trey. I'm doing well. Ryan, what was your goal in writing My Life on the Line? Yeah, the main goal was to reach people who maybe didn't see my original coming out story and also kind of fill in the gaps of things I wasn't able to include in a in a short article. And I also thought it would be a great way to raise money for my charity to be able to give back to the LGBT community. You dropped some absolute bombs in the intro. Would you mind painting that picture for my listeners of uh, what it was that you were describing in the intro of this book? Well, for people that aren't familiar with my story, I played in the NFL for six years. Uh, Early on in my football career through college, I decided that football would be my best bet at staying closeted so nobody would find out I'm gay. I never thought that family or anyone that loved me would accept me. You know, I come from a rural part, conservative area of California, and growing up, I never heard anything positive about gay people. And in those days, you know, I didn't have social media and and people weren't on TV representing the community. So I, I just never thought I could live as an out gay man. And I was absolutely miserable. And my plan was to play football for as long as possible and then end my life. Let's rewind to you back in high school because by the end of your junior year, you were receiving offers from a lot of major programs. You also realized that while your size got you by in high school, that that wouldn't be the case at the next level. So you became more of a student of the game. As a result, you wrote, and I quote, I never liked football but came to understand it as well as any of my coaches. Did becoming a student of the game ever lead to you liking football more? <laughs> No. So I, I, I genuinely never enjoyed football. I love competing. Uh, don't get me wrong. Even today, I love competing at different things. But, you know, the game itself, when you break it down to the X's and O's, you know, I respect the competition and everything else like that goes into it and the hard work that it takes to really make it to college and especially the NFL. But, you know, the game itself is just kind of silly to me. But that's the same with a lot of sports to me. I mean, funny enough, I, I, I find NASCAR to be the most entertaining sport of anything. Huh. You also admit to being a bully in high school. Why was that? Oh, I was so insecure with myself. And, you know, I, I would have liked to be known for anything other than, you know, the gay kid. So if I always thought for some reason people were suspecting my sexuality and I was miserable inside, so I I lashed out at people, and I'd rather have people know me as, you know, the bully than anything else. And, you know, I I know that I did harm to others just the way I treated them. And, you know, since then, I've gone back and apologized as much as possible to people. 
And that paranoia was a fascinating theme through a lot of this book until you were able to actually come to terms and really talk to people about who you truly were. Now, you played your college ball at Cal. What was it about Berkeley that caused you, a guy from a small town in Northern California, to want to attend school there? Well, Berkeley was the first school to offer me a scholarship. Um, you know, it's 200 miles from home. And at that time, when I was a junior in high school, I thought it would be nice to have the friends that, you know, I already had in my circle to come visit. And, you know, I, I that ended up not being the case. But, you know, Berkeley is about as different from where I grew up as it gets, um, super liberal and, you know, I also thought that committing early like I did would kind of suppress all the other interest I was getting from other colleges, and that absolutely was not the case. I, I think by the time I ended up actually signing with Cal, I had over 20 offers from across the country. Wow. And uh, you had a couple of pretty famous teammates while at Cal. We'll start with the running back that was there for part of your time. That is Marshawn Lynch. He seems like a pretty cool dude. Do you have any good Marshawn Lynch stories? Marshawn, Marshawn is a, he's a great guy. He's, he's hilarious. He's an awesome teammate. Um, you know, how people saw him when he was playing in the NFL, how he carried himself and uh, how he took care of his community. That that's all very, that's very true. That, that is Marshawn. Um, we hung out quite a bit. You know, we'd always jab each other back and forth. He, back when I was playing in college, I was gigantic. I, I got up to 370 at one point. I played it over 360, and he thought it was funny to call me Baby Huey. But, uh, <laughs> no, Mar- 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 Marshawn's a great guy. Um, you know, I've got nothing but respect for him. And I, if I'm recalling correctly, you said that that weight gain that you experienced in college getting all the way up into 370 is, was another one of those ways for you to mask your sexuality. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I, I thought I would make myself as undesirable as possible. And part of that was gaining a massive amount of weight, chewing, starting to chew tobacco. And, you know, it, uh, it worked. Um, hmm. You know, but it did, it did obviously have a detriment to my health. You know, who, who knows how much further I would have been able to go if, if you know, I took better care of myself physically back in the day. You were also college teammates with Aaron Rodgers. Your nickname for him was Bubs. Where did that come from? <laughs> uh, yeah, Bubbles. Um, that actually, oddly enough, came from a gay joke about uh, blowing bubbles as a child. Um, I'll leave it as that, at that. But okay. uh, for some funny reason, it it stuck, and uh, he called me Tool. Um, one of those, you know, you know, someone acts like a tool, like they're just, you know, it, it was just something he called me. So it it stuck, and uh, and it was just one of those harmless nicknames. Ryan, what was your proudest moment as a collegiate? I think winning the Morris Trophy. So the Morris Trophy is a um, award that the Pac-10 or, or the Pac-12 now gives out, and it is the best offensive lineman and the best defensive lineman. What's special about that award is it is voted on by the people you go up against. So you know all the D linemen in the league got to vote, and you know they they thought I was the best competitor. So you know award like that to me means a lot more than something voted on by 
you know, some talking heads in an office. Ryan, you were uh, eventually drafted by the Patriots in the fifth round of the 2006 draft after your eligibility was over with with Cal. Was that a pretty emotional moment for you, even as a guy who didn't care that much for the sport of football? Yeah, to, to me, it was just a, a way to, you know, carry on my plan and then to keep playing football. You know, I, I respected what it meant to get drafted and to make it that far. And, and you know, part of me was, was proud for that, but... Uh, you know, like I said, football served its purpose, and you know, ending up in New England was was awesome. Probably the best thing that could have happened for me. Um, you know, the, the way they do things and how they really teach you how to play football in the NFL. That offensive line coach we had in New England was he was the best of the best. And you know, I, I firmly believe if it wasn't for you know what I was taught when I was there, I, I wouldn't have made it as long as I did. You suffered a scary injury midway through your rookie year. How did it happen, and what was going through your head in the moments after? Yeah, so it was against the Bears. Um, it was a it was a tackle pull play where I had to get out of my stance, go left behind the line of scrimmage, and then um, block Brian Erlacher. And we'd run the play a couple times successfully, and Brian being the smart player he is or was he saw it coming this particular play and he met me on my side of the line and uh, he ear hold me meaning he hit me in the side of the head when he saw me coming and that uh caused me to, to black out and lose all feeling um couldn't feel my hands my feet you know after a tv timeout and uh some more time on the field um thankfully i i regained feeling um, enough to be able to make it off the field but you know at that time I'm laying there and I can't feel anything I remember screaming out loud I can't feel anything and suddenly everyone backs away but you know one of the first things in my mind is you know this (laughs) this sucks now I'm closeted gay and paralyzed like Hmm. you know now what the hell do I do and um, you know I know there's a lot of people out there that have accidents and never get that feeling back. And, you know, I, I totally understand that and feel for them, you know, so I know how lucky I am. So they end up taking you to the hospital after the injury. They take you away from the stadium and to the hospital. They end up cutting the jersey off of you at the hospital. Did you get to keep that jersey as a memento? <laughs> well, the NFL is a business before anything else. And when I came back, I think four or five, six weeks later, that jersey was sewn up and on my shoulder pads for the next game um wow you know, only what a couple hundred dollars for them but you know if they could save 10 jerseys that's two grand so it is a business as we've already talked a little bit about looking straight was an obsession of yours what were some of the most extreme lengths that you would go through to make this happen <laughs> uh donating money to Newt Gingrich and acting like an extreme conservative. Um, <laughs> I, I know. I, I still get these mailings from the Republican <laughs> Party asking for surveys and donations. And I tell you, nowadays I have a lot of fun filling those out and mailing them back. But uh, I, I used to just watch so much Fox News and act like a total conservative. And um, that was pretty ridiculous. But uh, yeah, I, I don't do that anymore. That's a, that's a good thing. And uh, during training camp, prior to your third season with the Pats, 
you gained firsthand experience regarding the NFL as a business, as if the uh, Jersey moment wasn't enough, and how that business really can be towards its players. What exactly happened there? Yeah, so I, I tore my left shoulder again. So in college, I, I had a few surgeries on my shoulder, so it wasn't 100% as it was. But um, during a exercise against the D-line, my shoulder got uh, torqued over my head, and I, I felt it just tear. And so I, I go to the training room, and doctor evaluates me, and I have to ask for an MRI. You know, obviously, I was no stranger to shoulder surgery, so I knew something was going on. And so I get the MRI back, and the doctor tells me nothing new is wrong with your shoulder. You know, it ended up being a useful, crafty language that he used, saying there was nothing new wrong with it because I've had so many extra ones. But I knew something was up, so I uh, took advantage of my rights through our collective bargaining agreement. I got a second opinion and a and a different type of MRI. And after that, you know, they admitted what was going on. And, you know, part of the business of the NFL is they cannot release you while you are injured. You have to be practicing. So um, right or wrong, they want you to try to practice. And uh, thankfully, I I had good advice from our union representative to exercise my rights. And I I did that. And I ended up getting the, you know, the help I needed from an outside doctor. Your fourth season, you were cut by the Patriots just before the year started, but picked up pretty quickly by Kansas City. And Scott Pioli, a guy who was with New England when you were drafted, Todd Haley was the head coach of the Chiefs at that time. Did you like Todd Haley as a coach at all, and why? Uh, Well, Todd's not coaching now for a reason. Well, he's not head coaching now for a reason. (laughs) But Todd, Todd was way different than Coach Belichick. Now, I, I totally understand why they hired him, uh, the pedigree he has, the, the record they had in, in Arizona before he made it to Kansas City. But, you know, he just he didn't have a balance of being a player coach or trying to be, you know, a, a hard-ass disciplinarian. And you have to be consistent as a head coach. And, you know, you have to, you have to earn the respect of your team. And it was pretty clear early on that there, you know, I wasn't in New England anymore and, um, you know, the control of the locker room and the players wasn't there. So, you know, I, I had my, uh, I had my friendly moments with, with Todd, but, um, the respect as a head coach, you know, wasn't there. Part of how the NFL damn near killed you, Ryan, is by, forcing you into this world of pain meds, prescription pain medications that has been well documented to this point that they love to rely upon as an alternative to something that seems to have a similar effect but is also much healthier, much less addictive in cannabis. Uh, For you as a guy who went through addiction with these very powerful pain meds after another shoulder surgery, more drugs, uh, there were more thoughts of suicide coming into your head, what was rock bottom for you? Well, after two consecutive injuries two years in a row in Kansas City, I I became an absolute addict. I I, I was getting an, a lot of pills from the team. You know, there was one month where I had nine refills of my pain medication. But, you know, anyone who's taken pills knows you can start with one, but soon enough one doesn't do it and you need two. And then, you know, I was to the point where I was taking 30 pills a day of different wow. kinds. And I, I was an absolute junkie. I was spending 400 bucks a day and 
you know, rock bottom came after I, I, that last injury. I was a junkie doing, you know, as many pills as I can get my hands on. And, you know, I, I my plan all along when football was over was to end my life. And I was just careless with pills and I was spiraling out of control. But, you know, the, the subtitle of my book is how the NFL damn near killed me, but ended up saving my life. Well, how they basically ended up saving my life was it was someone with the Chiefs who noticed that downward downward spiral that I was having. Um, he didn't understand I was taking the pills not only for pain, but because it also numbed my feelings and, and you know, hiding being gay. But he recognized I was having an issue and uh, recommended I go speak with someone. And instead of saying no and raising more questions, I I agreed. And uh, it was him introducing me to, to Dr. Wilson that that put me on the path to coming out and, and, you know, being able to accept myself. His name was Dave Price. You just mentioned Dr. Susan Wilson. What was your breakthrough moment for you with Dr. Wilson? Well, I sat down with Dr. Wilson for, for weeks, months, tons of appointments before I really opened up to her. Um, you know, I, I was the, the time I was, seeing her, you know, I was still abusing drugs, taking more and more and more. And, you know, she did her job and, and, you know, got to the root of it and broke me down. And and one day I went and saw her football season was coming to an end. And, you know, me mentally, I was, I was at the end of my rope and I finally opened up to her and, and believed that she couldn't tell anyone. And so I just told her for the the first time I told anyone or said the words out loud, I told her that I was gay. And one of the first things she did was stood up and came across the table and, and gave me a hug and then told me that I wasn't the first football player to tell her that. And, you know, suddenly I, I just, I didn't feel alone. And um, even telling her, someone who I knew couldn't tell anyone that for the first time was, was a huge weight off the shoulders. And, and she basically convinced me that, you know, if you're just going to end your life anyways, why don't you find out if these people you're so afraid of finding out and thinking they're going to, you know, reject you, you know, find out if they really will. And, you know, that's such a basic idea in common sense. But you know, I was so wrapped up in my own mind and, and deeply closeted in my own little world that that never even crossed my mind. So I'm forever thankful for her and, and, David Price, who unfortunately passed away this past year, uh, for, for what they did for me. After sharing your secret with Dr. Wilson and coming out to your childhood friend, Brian, who you'd been living with since entering the league, you decided to tell your parents, but the drive from Kansas City to Redding, California was quickly sidetracked. Why? Yeah, on, on that drive, you know, I, I was taking that drive to do the one thing I feared most was to tell family that I was gay and I was taking more pills than I, than I should have. And I also got some Adderall from a friend and I was very naive to that drug. And I took too many of them. And on the drive, um, I made one stop halfway through Nevada at this tiny hospital. Cause I felt my heart pounding out of my chest. And those doctors told me I was naive to the drug and I would calm down and sent me on my way. And by the time I, made it to uh, the small mountain town where my aunt and uncle lived nearby. They, I stopped there and um, 
told them how I felt. So we went to the hospital and, um, hospital is a generous word for that place. It was more like a house with a doctor, but, uh, <laughs> they, they triaged me and, and, um, as soon as they took my blood pressure and took me up to the machine, they, they knew something was up and they treated me as if I was having a heart attack. So I ended up spending, getting admitted and, uh, they took care of me. They got me stabilized. Um, had to stay there for a bit, but at that, at that hospital that night, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to die. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I finally built up the courage to come out here and do this and tell these people and am I, you know, am I going to make it? And, um, going through something like that in the hospital, having all this stuff going on, it's pretty emotional. And I came out to my aunt and uncle then and there because I didn't know, you know, what was going to happen. And, uh, luckily, um, they were okay with it. And, uh, obviously we, we talked about it more after I got out of the hospital and, uh, answered any questions they had, you know, and I'm that type of person where I'd rather someone ask me questions about it than assume something. Um, but you know, that all, that all went well. I, uh, that started my process of getting clean. Um, you know, it's tough to get sober, but you know, I firmly believe if you can fix the reason why you're abusing the drugs in the first place before you try to get sober, you know, that that's kind of the key to success. And, you know, coming out or being closeted was, you know, the main reason I was abusing the drugs to numb that emotional pain. You know, I, I fixed that. So that really helped, you know, kicking the habit. It's understanding how it would perpetuate that. And you also made your aunt and uncle promise not to tell your parents. That was a conversation you needed to have with them. Eventually, you got healthy enough to finish that drive and did tell your parents that you were gay, uh, something that had terrified you for most of your life, uh, especially telling your dad. So how did they take it? Yeah, so I, I, I had stopped talking to most of my family months leading up to when I came out to California. You know, I figured I was going to kill myself and pushing them away would make it easier on them. You know, I know how ridiculous that is now, but at the time that's what I thought. And so when I called my mom and told her I'm coming to town and we need to sit down and chat about something, uh, she thought that I was going to tell them that I was terminally ill or or something along those lines. So when I sat my parents down and, and told them, uh, it took me a while still, you know, I, I sat there, I got very emotional, but I, as soon as I told them, um, my mom stood up and hugged me and really had a sense of relief because she thought, you know, something was wrong. Um, you know, I, I thought the whole time that being gay was, they would think was wrong, but so my mom was just happy that I was fine. Um, my dad stayed quiet. Uh, you know, he spent 29 years, at that time, I was 29, 29 years, uh, picturing his son a certain way, basically the way I told him I was. And, um, it took him a little while to come around to it. And, you know, I was maybe a little unreasonable at the time, expecting everything to be totally good right off the bat. You know, he was never, he was never angry at me or, or hateful. You know, I, I thought, you know, chairs would be thrown and I'd be kicked out of the house. None of that even close to that happened. Um, but so basically the first year after I, I 
told him. He kind of acted like I didn't tell him. Um, and I, I also didn't date or do anything like that. I had to work on myself. You don't go from hating yourself to being perfectly fine overnight. So, you know, I, I think it really became real to him the first time I introduced them to, to someone I was dating. And, um, you know, I, I took the boyfriend at the time to an event that they were at. And afterwards, you know, my dad said, you know, Brandon seemed nice. And that was kind of what opened our line of communication. And I, and I, you know, finally realized that, you know, okay, my dad is totally on board and, and cares. And, uh, since then, um, our relationship is, is awesome. I, I, I've never been closer to my family and, uh, I, I, I'm very thankful for, you know, what they are in my life. That is fantastic to hear. And you bringing your boyfriend at the time to your induction into the Shasta County Sports Hall of Fame was the first time that you really came out in a public forum. Did that lead to a reaction that you expected? Not at all. And, you know, at, at the time, taking him to a public thing like that, uh, I thought it would get attention, and I thought I would be ready for that. Thankfully, it didn't because, uh, you know, I, I hadn't I hadn't lived the life as an openly gay man. He was the first guy I dated. You know, I, I really didn't. I knew people would be reaching out to me, advice, whatnot, and I just I didn't have really the ground to stand on to, to be in that position. So I'm I'm glad that no one really picked up on that and it, and it didn't go anywhere. Because um, when I did finally come out years later, you know, the response was was pretty overwhelming. You admit in the book that after coming out to your family and friends and eventually in public a couple different times, you only contemplated suicide one other time and I believe it involved your longtime friend and former teammate Aaron Rodgers. How so? Yeah, Aaron and I were very close. Um, knew each other in high school, went to college together, spent time every offseason together. And after I came out to him, everything was fine. Gave me a hug, said, love you, buddy, just like any other time. But not long after that, um, he faced some rumors himself. And face some gay rumors. Yeah, some gay rumors himself again. And, you know, when I came out to him on the couch out in Green Bay, it was just him and I. And he knew the position I'd put myself in. I was not in a good spot financially. I'd started spending money and giving it away. So I'd have a tougher time backing out of killing myself. And he presented me with a awesome opportunity, kind of a second chance, really. Um, And I know he done this quietly for other friends and so I, I took him serious took him at his word and uh looked for a business opportunity that he said he wanted to invest in and um so i, I did that took some time found a uh found a hotel in tahoe that i was very confident wouldn't lose his money because that's the last thing i wanted to do and so i got the ball rolling on that and uh, we were chatting more regularly about that because um, it, it takes quite a bit to get something like that going. And that's when uh, the gay rumors came out about him again and his old assistant uh, who had started tweeting some things. And uh, he stopped talking to me overnight. And that was in 2012. And to this day, I haven't heard a word from him. 
Do you take solace in the information or the insight that he has not only done this with friends, but he's also done this with family members to where it's not something that's necessarily personal towards you, but perhaps something that is festering inside of him that led him to do something so heartless and abrupt? Yeah, um, <laughs> that's tough because, you know, I didn't put everything in the book. You know, some stuff's still private, but it's just, uh, you know, I was I was the first one um, he stopped talking to, and then, you know, everyone else got the same treatment for another reason. And, uh, you know, I, I'm... Since then, I've learned I needed to kind of rely on my own wings and not the branch I landed on. So maybe I shouldn't have expected things from him after he offered them. But, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I, I look at what's happened with other people in his life, specifically his family. And, you know, it, it's uh, it's too bad. You know, I, 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 I hope if he's going to reconcile with anyone, it's, his mother first. So um, I'm not too worried about myself because of all that. Now, eventually you did come out in a way that caught the general public's attention coming out in the out sports publication. How was that response? That response was great. Uh, it, well, it's been great from everything, even, even the book, you know, I, I hadn't received one negative hateful email out of the thousands that I received. Um, you know, I, in the book, I talk about one email I received from a, from a straight man, a father of a, of a child who had disowned his son after he came out to him. And the email I received from that man was him telling me that, you know, he heard my story and, and, you know, what being closeted was like and coming out and, you know, that made him reconsider what he did to his son. And uh, he told me he was going to, you know, reach back out and, and try to mend, you know, what, what he had done. And, you know, stories like that are are awesome. And really, you know, one of the main reasons I, I did come out publicly, you know, to, to help straight people who, who may not realize that being gay is not a choice and we come in all shapes and sizes and most of us aren't you know, stereotypes and there's nothing to be ashamed of. And also to be an example for other closeted athletes, which, you know, I've had numerous come out to me on, on all levels. Um, you know, we're still waiting on that one closeted professional player to, to come out, but you know, it, it's only a matter of time. Not asking you to name names here, but uh, considering some of what you know based on guys getting in contact with you, are there uh, some individuals that people would be shocked to know that they certainly know who that person is to uh, find out that they were gay? Yes. And uh, last thing, Ryan, what are you up to these days, man? Well, I uh, after my football career, I, I really had to take care of my health, and even today I'm still having to take care of physical things, but I started the Ryan O'Callaghan Foundation to help give back to um, the LGBT community. So, you know, I'm, I'm seeing uh, how far I can go with that. Um, like I said all proceeds, all of my proceeds from the book go directly 
to my foundation, and every penny that goes into the foundation goes back out. I, I don't take a salary. No one on the board does. So really we're just trying to see, uh, you know, what kind of backing we can get and, and how many, um, you know, other LGBT students we can end up helping out through scholarships and mentorships. And you know, I also plan to link up with some other uh, LGBT charities. You know, I, I'm I'm under the belief that, you know, we're, we're better off joining forces. There's so many smaller charities all trying to benefit the same group that if, if we can join forces a little bit, maybe we can do some more good. And, you know, I'm still trying to get the NFL to do more and more and, and kind of take a more public stance supporting the LGBT community, um, which they have. You know, they've, they've made some progress these past two years. They've uh, had a float in the New York Pride Parade. And this year they took it a step further by actually sponsoring the parade and not being so quiet about it. You know, they, they had me on their network to actually talk about it and draw attention to them taking a, a stance on a social issue like this. And um, I realized that, you know, they have to be careful in a way not to alienate their fans because, you know, whether you and I know that it's the right thing to do and it is the right thing to do, they not all football fans are supportive of these things. Um, but it's great to see they're doing more and more, and uh, hopefully that continues. Um, they've been hosting some groups of kids in different uh, football cities, like before the Super Bowl this year in Atlanta, they did that. So, no, I, I'm really just trying to use uh, what platform I have to, um, you know, help, to help others. And so far, the response has been great. Baby steps are better than nothing, and you are certainly helping to perpetuate the change, and I thank you very much for that. You just heard Ryan say that 100% of proceeds for this book go to the Ryan O'Callaghan Foundation. You can actually go to rofdn.org to find out more information, and definitely make sure to check out this book, My Life on the Line, How the NFL Damn Near Killed Me and Ended Up Saving My Life. He is Ryan O'Callaghan. Ryan, thank you so much for the time today, man. Really impo- uh, really enjoyed the book and also uh, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on and, and supporting what I'm doing.